You're listening to Ask Dr. E, where Dr. Michael Easley answers your biblical and theological questions in 10 minutes or less, or sometimes more like this episode. Here's today's question. I understand from the New Testament that the Lord uh, used the apostles to introduce the gospel to outreaching regions, but lately I've been hearing that all the spiritual gifts are still viable today. I wondered what you thought. Thank you for your time. It's a great question, Craig, and one that cycles in and out of church every so often. I can remember hand late seventies, uh, there was a lot of interest in these gift assessment tools mm. and, uh, what's your spiritual gift, you know, like what's your sign Yeah. <laughs> and they trend in and out right now. Of course, it's your Enneagram. Totally. Yeah. Really yeah. into that. I think it's <laughs> cultic. <laughs> Please. <laughs> all right. First of all, let's think through, uh, these lists we have in the new Testament when it comes to gifts, there are four main passages in the new Testament. First Corinthians 12 and we could take that 12 through 14, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. Now, there's some other passages like 1 Timothy 4, 14 that, that refer to a gift, but let's speak of just the lists, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11, and we'll refer to some, we'll dip into some of those in a minute. The, the term grace gift comes from the Greek word charisma. Now, some of you might have come from a charismatic tradition or might be involved in a charismatic church. The word technically just means a grace gift, not necessarily a charismatic movement or a kind of charismatic church. The central passage that I want to begin with is from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is so important when we talk about spiritual gifts. What was the purpose of the gift for the common good? Now, Paul is teaching that these gifts were to profit, were to benefit, were to be useful to others. In other words, the person that possesses the gift is not the primary beneficiary of the gift, but the ministry that person has because of the gift. Now, to your point, the question, it's more important to differentiate so-called sign gifts. And let's talk about healings, miracles, signs and wonders, speaking in tongues, speaking as a prophet. And perhaps the two most interesting and most controversial of these are speaking in tongues and the gift of prophecy. So aside from so-called sign gifts, uh, sometimes we find the argument, well, there's a natural gifting of a natural talent. So, for example, uh, if you have a gift for the common good, you come to Christ, you now have this gift. It might be teaching, serving, exhorting, giving, leading. Those would all come from Romans 12, for example. It would make good common spiritual sense. If a, if a man or woman's a good leader and they come to Christ, then you use that that gift in leading in a church, leading in a small group, leading sure. in some mission effort, whatever. If you're a generous person, you have the ability to make money and you're blessed with the attitude of giving. Well, certainly if you come to Christ, you want to help and give other uh, ministries, organizations help along the way. This is pretty much common sense spiritually. When we get to the so-called sign gifts, we have to look at these passages very carefully. Surprise in context, how they're used. <laughs> The short answer is the sign manifestations were given to authenticate the apostles. 
the sign gifts were given to authenticate the apostles. Let's go back to Moses. This is a great paradigm to understand. When Moses was granted signs and wonders, why? He's going to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is going to be shown that Yahweh Elohim is God, not Pharaoh. Pharaoh thought himself a God-man. Pharaoh thought his son was the son of God. A lot of parallels. Mm -hmm. So Moses is sent by God, unwillingly, you recall, to go to Pharaoh so that he will show him. This is what we call a polemic. Who's God? Is Pharaoh God or Yahweh Elohim God? Each of the gifts that Moses performed was to authenticate Moses was sent from Yahweh. And you remember, they could copy some of the early ones. The magicians could turn a snake into a mm-hmm. stick and so forth. But then Moses' snake ate their snakes. Yep. So you got a little bit of a problem there. So who's God? That's the storyline. The miracles from the wilderness all the way through came through Moses' hands. Moses had no power to perform a gift apart from God empowering him mm-hmm. to demonstrate the authentic God is Yahweh. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, let's come New Testament. Speaking in tongues is always the hot debate. As I understand scripture, and you look at the at the time of Pentecost, this is where the gift begins. It's often overlooked. Number one, they're all Jews. This is Pentecost. This is when all the people would go up to worship into Jerusalem for the 49 days of celebration and the Feast of Booze and all that accompanied the, the Pentecost experience. Jews looked forward to this like Westerners look forward to Thanksgiving or New Year's, but even more so. What's often missed in Acts chapter 2 is that all of these languages, the Greek word is dialectos. They were known languages. They were not uh, charismania. They were not ecstatic utterances. They were dialectos. Listen to the passage. This is Acts 2 beginning at verse 8. And how is it that we each hear them in our own language, dialectos, language, to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya and Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking the mighty deeds of God. These are dialectos. So a point that's rarely noted is they're hearing their mother language. Now, I make the argument that this is a dual miracle, meaning I'm speaking in my mother tongue and you're hearing in your mother tongue. Let's put it this way. I'm speaking English, but a Jew from uh, Asia is hearing their mother tongue. I'm speaking English, and a person from Phrygia is hearing uh, Phygerian in his head or her head. So we miss the point of this miracle. What's happening at Pentecost is not speaking in ecstatic utterances. This is a known language. You're speaking German, a Frenchman's hearing it in French. Fourth, they mocked the Jews at Pentecost. In chapter 2 of Acts, verse 13, others were mocking and saying, they're full of sweet wine. And so 
a casual reader would say, see, it sounds like gibberish. They're speaking ecstatic utterances. They're speaking a heavenly language. Let's back up and raise the, ask the question. If you have all these different dialects, 13 as I count them, all Jews, some are proselytes, all Jews, they're going for a Jewish celebration. They're all talking in their mother tongue. That would sound like gibberish. If you were in the UN and everybody was speaking in their home language without interpreters talking to you in your ear, and a casual observer heard that, it would sound pretty crazy. So 13 different languages, the conversation is taking place, and of course the lingua franca of the day would have been Greek or maybe Arabic, but in the main, it's going to hear hundreds if not thousands of different people speaking at the same time in their mother tongue. Now, when we go to 1 Corinthians and we see how the gifts, especially sign gifts uh, and speaking in tongues is used, you must keep in mind the letter Paul wrote was a corrective letter. The entire letter, he begins right at, right at, the, at the outset, there's divisions and factions among the Corinthian believers. He's correcting them. So when I teach the book of Corinthians, I always tell folks, write on the top of your Bible and on Corinth, write letter of correction, Corinthians and correction, because both books are correcting them. By chapter 3, we read, I could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of flesh, as infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, because you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not yet able. Now, stop right there and think about it. The book of 1 Corinthians is a bowl of milk for baby Christians, <laughs> which means you better understand divorce, remarriage, and factions, and gifts, and speaking in tongues, or you're still a baby. It's pretty harsh. Now, with the ongoing theme of 1 Corinthians being corrective, Paul is talking in chapters 12 through 14 about the misuse of gifts. Now, that raises some fascinating questions. Number one, how can you misuse a gift? Now, let me suggest, and this is so helpful, you can't misuse mercy and teaching and leadership, but you can sure misuse prophecy and tongues. <laughs> mm -hmm. Who's going to misuse mercy? You're going to be too merciful? Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess you could. But prophecy and tongues, a person could just, forgive me, make it up. Yeah. By the way, there's no mention of the misuse of healing. Hmm. So let's think about this from very common sense. If Paul is correcting them because of the misuse of gifts, you shouldn't be healing a person that way. You see, that doesn't happen because healing is either legitimate or not. You shouldn't be using mercy that way. No, mercy's mercy. But you could easily misuse prophecy and tongues because these sign gifts don't have the way of identifying them the way the more, let's call it subjective gifts, giving, mercy, leadership, serving, and so forth. So let me suggest, it might be too simple, but they are misusing prophecy and speaking in tongues. If prophecy was not from God, it was a problem. And Acts 2 seems clear that those were languages, not ecstatic utterances, that had to be open to interpretation. And that's why Paul goes above and beyond explaining, if someone speaks in a tongue, you better have someone who can interpret that language or we don't know what it means. That, to me, parallels Acts better than creating an ecstatic utterance or something that has to be confirmed. 
again, I can't be bulldogmatic on this, but if we're consistent from languages in Acts chapter 2, the sign gifts authenticated the apostles to prove them to the New Testament, just like Moses has to be proved to Pharaoh and his own people. Now, okay, more than you ever wanted to know, the shortest answer I can give you is the sign gifts were used to authenticate the apostles and their message, just like Moses was authenticated before Egypt and his own people. The apostles had the task of establishing God's church. The other gifts, uh, it makes for a biblical, theological, common sense that they were for the common good of the body. If you've got a question for Ask Dr. E, call us or text us at 615-281-9694. Or you can email us at question at michaelincontext.com. We would love to hear from you. Ask Dr. E is a production of Michael Easley in Context. The music for this show is composed by Jason Germain. And you can find more biblical resources at michaelincontext.com.